Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, Taylor here. You know at our podcast, we were wanting to center the perspectives of people who look like us and women as well as marginalized people who have been historically pushed to the sideline of conversations. So if you haven't already, we welcome you to engage through our Instagram or Facebook page by leaving a comment or simply support us by subscribe our podcast from Acast, Apple, Spotify and Google. It will make a huge difference to increase our visibility and centering the conversations we have from our pod. Enjoy today's episode. Helen. Yeah, well, this is Jessie too. Everyone knows that. The whole world knows me. And you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under. Or Asian Arrogant Bitch over here, (laughs) who has started off the pod by saying Helen and expecting Helen to say Jessie. Um, (laughs) Sorry. No, no, that's okay. Um, I have adopted a koala. Oh my goodness, have you? Well, like it was a byproduct of acquiring an extremely expensive mattress. Oh, the Kerala exactly. mattress. Yeah, it wasn't so intentional. Funny. It just happened so that once you make a hipster purchase, I swear every fucking inner west white person in Sydney, in the inner west, has a koala mattress. <laughs> I have um, kowtowed to this stupid trend because I wanted a very nice mattress. I thought, come on, I'm 33 and I think I've only ever had a pass me down, like a handover mattress. <laughs> Because I'm the youngest of four. Yeah. And like that's, people that's who are unfortunate like, of being the youngest. And oh, when your parents bad, get seriously. to that stage yeah. of the fourth child, they just, oh, just take whatever that your yeah. older well, siblings got. Yeah, and also it's really nice when your other siblings are like very, very rich. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> One of them. And um, I just like get his old stuff that's uh-huh. like really, really nice. But anyway, I have decided to become a full adult and acquired a new mattress. And Fantastic. it costs like... It costs more than I make in a month, I think. Oh, but um, but uh-huh. consequently, I have adopted a koala. This is not a shout-out, by the way. Yeah, I have not been um, paid by a koala mattresses to... You know, this is not an advertisement. <laughs> um, we don't do that. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but yeah, so koala mattresses. I, I'm, I swear everyone who has heard of this will have known. It's like this organization where like you buy a mattress and like you also consequently um, the money some of the proceeds goes into like adopting a koala I honestly didn't know that they have some sort of I didn't know that yeah I actually did not know that either I I see mass media advertising or koala mattress I know and I just thought I never thought about the connection exactly neither I just thought oh they thought to call their mattresses koala because it's Australian that's all I thought uh that's literally what I thought yeah but like yeah they have a they have a um, sort of collaboration with the IWF or am I thinking IWF or IDF or some foundation cons- conservation foundation? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, and I got a certificate. I got a certificate that wow. said like congratulations, Jesse, to you have adopted a koala, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh-huh. I thought that was very funny. Oh my goodness! Because yesterday yeah. I was doing the recording with my daughter Aya, and, and what is her, at, her episode? What is her? And she actually mentioned about um, adopting koalas on her um, so on her cute. latest episode. Aww. Yeah, 
So she was talking about endangered animals on her episode, yeah. and then she started talking about how her friend has recently adopted um, a koala. I didn't know that you can. I, I've always heard that adopting animals, you know, from uh, through the zoo, you put your name on mm. some kind of plug. But yeah. I didn't know. That's the first time I actually heard it. Yeah, yeah it all interesting. it all kind of sounds very kind of symbolic, isn't it? When you get those kind of things, mm-hmm. like it's like naming a star. You buy like you buy yeah. yeah. Um, also, I've just looked at the screenshot of the um, the the certificate that I received from Koala, and it's their, their <laughs> collaboration with is with WWF, like just the most uh, famous world organization protecting uh-huh. animals ever that I forgot. But basically, they're saying this is what they've said. They said um, through the partnership, Koala is donating funds to the WWF from every mattress sold, which means you are fighting, helping fight the good fight for our furry little legends. So I don't actually know mm-hmm. if I've adopted a koala. It just says, well, the the yeah, the the certificate the of sal- a- the 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 sales you made yeah. actually will contribute partially towards yeah. whatever found there. Well, yeah, yeah the certificate of adoption says koala and WWF certify that Jesse too has made a symbolic adoption <laughs> to help support koala health, population diversity, habitat protection, and restoration. So. Yeah, wow. fun times. It's happening more often now, mm. I think. With a lot of businesses, they are more self-conscious uh, or aware about the social yeah. responsibilities yeah, they need totally. to take up upon. I just worry that... Yeah, yeah it is, is good, good I guess. Extent. Like, yeah. I worry that, like, it, everything just becomes a symbol. You know, like, businesses last year getting uh-huh. onto the whole Black Lives Matter situation and, like, it's all mm-hmm, so just symbolic. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not pretend, ladies and gentlemen, that at the end of the day, they're trying to make money, you know? They're a business. Yeah. It's a capitalist yeah. world. Come on, guys. Yeah, but you still need the mattress. Yeah, I need... You still need somewhere place to sleep well, on. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Um, how was your week? So I've acquired a koala. Can you up that? Um. So my week's been... Pretty good. The kids returned to school this Depressing. week, so I'm like, yay! Mm. <laughs> depressing for them, yay for you. Yeah. yeah, and oh, I don't think it's depressing for them. They're actually quite looking forward to go, I'm go back so to school. So glad you know, not being I'm stuck not at school home. anymore. Yeah, I swear the first 18 years of my life. Well, the first five years were great when I didn't have school, but like I really did not enjoy school. Really, like I wasn't bullied or anything, but I just this is even worse. I didn't not worse, but this is even less interesting. I just found school utterly utterly wrist slicingly dull and boring i just wanted to mm. it just i remember just sitting in class and just thinking get me the hell out of here this is so boring yeah probably back in our generation when we were students it's just a different way of teaching kids now i think that's why they're enjoying mm. going to school yeah um so my week's been pretty good i think i have watched a bit more media content that is better than the previous week i think last week i was complaining the the movies i watched but this week um below par yeah yeah i think this week is is really really good because we finished watching lupin the Netflix French. Oh, Lupin. Yeah, Lupin. 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 I can't yeah. do the you know, French accent. Yeah. Well, Lupin. you know, you just have to go to Billy and Car- <laughs> Billy Andrews Pilot Club to listen to their excellent review. Yeah, Lupin in the Louvre or something. Yeah, yeah. it's it's great. great. Yeah, it really reminded me reading like the kids version of Lupin's stories when I was growing up. The chi- the Chinese version. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. It was it was kind of like. Kind of like the story that's similar to Robin Hood, where he robs the rich and gives to the poor. Yeah. And yeah, 
the whole setup of this drama is very, very well done, I think. The pace is、mm. really fast. It was only five episodes.、Mm-hmm. It left、um, mm. the last episode of the season one, left you on cliffhanger. It's like the last two seconds, like,、yeah. what? Fuck? <laughs> That's it? <laughs> That kind of、um, feeling. How many? So you finished the entire season? Yeah, we finished the first season. How many episodes? I think it's five. Yeah, so it's really, really short. Oh, nice. Okay, so it's not、yeah. too much. Yeah. Two movies. Would you call movies? One's movie. Oh, both of them are. The first one I'm going to talk about is The Circus of Books. My friend recommended me to watch this one. It's a documentary about homosexual slash porno shops in LA, California, I think. I can't really remember the. Yeah, the awesome. That sounds awesome. Actual location.、Yeah. Director is actually the daughter of the bookstore's、uh, owners. Yeah, right. And she followed her parents.、Um, she actually went back to dig up the home family. Videos、mm. like what we used to do when we were back in the 90s、yeah. and 80s, yeah, yeah, and ask her parents and also ex employees about the time during the 80s how it was still very the the porno pornography industry was still was starting up, but it was still very resisted by the mainstream, how would you say, the、mm. society, yeah, yeah, and they went through a couple of court cases. And they were standing up for the gay rights as well. It's it's a really good documentary. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it was directed by a woman as well. So I highly recommend for everyone to watch that one, Circus of Books. What's it called again? Circus of Books. Sounds like a really dull title, but <laughs> interesting topic. Yeah. So that's the bookstore's name. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. I want to f-、uh, mention this movie that I finished watching yesterday. I didn't think that it will be so good because when I first saw the poster out on Netflix last year, I, I was just thinking that okay, I'll put it in my on into my list because、um, some of my friends are talking about it. But it's a group of white men. I don't really think that it's something that will attract me to go and watch it. What is it? So it's called the the Trial of Chicago Seven. Oh wow!、Well, isn't it like a really important film? With like yeah,、um, so I I didn't I didn't know the history either, so I just thought that okay, it's something about yeah, documenting isn't Joseph Gordon Lewis or jo- Joseph Gordon Bennett or what's his name that Levitt yeah, yeah yeah that hot guy oh my god yeah, yeah he's in it right <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's in it. So the film, well, it's based on a true story, of course. It's set in the late sixties. The main purpose was for the leftist agenda. They were wanting to end the Vietnam War. You know, stop sending the young men to Vietnam, and they had an intention to antagonize the power and the authority.、Yeah. So the director Aaron Sorkin's. Well, that's the guy、Sorkin. who like is、okay. famous for West, West Wing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the film,、uh, the trial of Chicago Seven. It's based on the true story、um, of a disseparated group of anti-war protest organizers, including Abby Hoffman, who is played by、um, Session. What's his name? Cohen. Cohen Barron. Yeah, that's right. Session、uh, Barron Cohen. Yeah. Cohen, yeah. So they were charged with conspiracy to incite a riot, among the other things, after a peaceful demonstration during the 1968 Democratic National Convention,、mm. which the government said that it was turned on into like full-on bloodshed riot.、Um, so there's the tug war of democracy.、Um, it's the per- it's kind of like a perjury towards the freedom, you know. And also the you see the scenes of the interrogation at the courtroom. With very very limited transparency at all. For example, there were pieces、mm. of evidence that were not presented to the juries that were just blocked by the judge. So there's these, you know, definitely、yeah. like biased 
um, happening there. So um, there's a oh, turn. that happens still today, yeah, by the way. Of course, yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there a turn in English that we describe a very old judge who just not progressive enough? Like I know there's a turn in Chinese. Uh, uh, yeah. You just call them judge. <laughs> that is like ninety nine percent of all judges. <laughs> yeah. So in Chinese we call it uh, Kong Long. Like yeah, dinosaur like judge or fossilized judge. Dinosaur. Yeah, dinosaur judge yeah. or fossilized judge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the abuse of the power and the authority, it's just very clearly that you can see it from this film. Um, I think it's mm. very timely made for what we had experienced last year. For example, the Black Lives Matter and the Hong Kong riots. Um, it's mm. really about police brutality. You know, It's just so sickening when you watch the film. There was a replay of the scene on the night of the riot that the group of the so-called demonstrators, they were cornered into an area. They were blocked by, uh, you know, like hundreds of police. And you can just see mm. that the police start removing their badge. You know, the the, the, yeah. the the action of removing the badge, that means they're just turning into, I don't know. A just, civilian. Yeah, they're turning into civilian. Like they've foregone their morality as a human or what mm. you're supposed to do as a policeman to protect. You know, they start attacking, yeah. hitting, and, you know, just brutalizing the civilians. Just really, really bad. I don't think I can watch that. It was really hard for me to... I don't like, think I can handle anything heavy at the moment. It was really yeah. hard for me to watch scenes of, yeah, police brutality. Even though you think it's a movie, but it's, well, it happened in the real life. Yeah, yeah. That's why movies are important. Um, it shows us the real world. Uh, it was nominated. So Aaron Sorkin is one of the five nominees mm-hmm. for the Best Director in the Golden Globe. And um, this year is like the first time ever. Massive, massive, massive good news for women is um, so three out of the five women in the best director category have been nominated. Mm -hmm. So they are Chloe Zhao, Emerald Fennell and Regina King um, for their films. Um, Aaron Sorkin and the guy David Finch or David Lynch, one of them, um, did Mank. (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, it's Chloe Zhao. Um, I was telling Helen through text earlier this morning because I wrote a piece about it in Women's oh, agenda. have you? Okay, cool. She, um, she's the first Asian descent female to, woman of Asian descent to have been nominated, nominated for mm-hmm. the category of best director mm-hmm. for the Golden Globes, which is a huge deal. Yeah, I was just googling her. Um, she went to NYU. She's the daughter of like quite a well, this guy who ran like a steel company in China or something, and his dad remarried after the divorce um, to an actress. I think she's quite privileged, mm. but like I'm glad that she has made such a... I haven't seen Nomadland. Um, I think it's not in Australia yet. I would like to. It looks like a fucking... I think it's coming out in March oh, yeah, or it something is. like that. I'm pretty yeah, sure it is. It's usually like later. No, no. I. Yeah. Really? I, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen... I've seen the trailer. Yeah. Posters around it for Francis McDormand. But it looks fucking depressing. <laughs> Which is what we're best at. I don't know. I hope it's just not solemn. I actually looked at the synopsis on Wiki. It looks really just like plotless, but that's fine. I like movies that are not plot driven. Um, but yeah, it's it's really exciting. Um, but you know, all of this is symbolic, and I, it, someone better fucking win. One of the women better fucking win because yeah, I know. the last time a woman um, won was the first time a woman won, and it was thirty years ago, Helen. What? 30 years, years ago, ago, a woman oh won God, so yeah, for the best director uh, in the Golden Globes, and it was Barbara Streisand <laughs> for her film Yentl, oh. which is, like, really funny. It looks really funny. I saw the trailer for it. Like, um, Barbara Streisand plays this young woman who's tr- wanting to study at a sh- yeshiva, mm-hmm. um, but she's a woman, so she can't, and so she dresses, like, disguises like, herself so as a guy. guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've heard yeah. that Yentl. Which is like this my is, dream, by the way. There's a, there's a term called Yentl syndrome, as in that the woman needs to, in order for women to fit in, into the fucking defaulted yeah. world that, you know, just yeah. benefits men. We have to take in up mm. the characteristics that was portrayed. Of a man. By, yeah, of a man, yeah. Well, I'd like to cross-stress. Or, I mean, I'd like to live in the body of a man <laughs> for, like, a few days in my life. Not ev- not every day. Like, I'm glad I'm in a body of a woman so that I can actually express my emotions, which is, like, what being, what being a full human being consists of. But I would love to know what it's like to live in a male body, mm. at least just for one day. Uh-huh. It'll be very interesting, mm. to say the least. Um, so Helen looked at a very serious film this week. Um, I'm going to, speaking of like films, uh, I would love to gush about this w- film that I watched last night, finished watching. Um, it's called Paperback Hero. It's an Australian <laughs> film. Mm-hmm. Do you know it, Helen? It's a very old film, isn't it? Was it like Yeah, it's from 1999. It... Uh, was it Hugh Jackman, who, wasn't it? Do you remember? Yeah, who's in it? Uh-huh. It's Hugh Jackman and Claudia Carvin. Uh huh. So someone yeah. pretended someone to become a writer, wasn't it? Yeah, I was. Yeah, it's another. It's yeah. another kind of disguise kind of film. But um, yeah. the story. It's a romantic comedy. I kind of was. I remember as a kid, like during the nineties and two thousands, <laughs> right? Rom com was a massive thing. But like mm-hmm. the rom com that I consumed was all from America. Uh, like I didn't yeah. like Australian rom com, so like I have actively rejected watching this. And also, I'm not a huge fan of Hugh Jackman. He's just a little too good looking for my taste. <laughs> Um, so um, Paperback Hero is directed by this guy who um, I've never heard of his name's Anthony Bowman and the story basically follows this girl her name's Ruby played by Claudia Carvin she's a crop duster pilot who sprays fertilizers in the outback of Australia and her friend who's played by Jackman his name is Jack and they're like frenemies (laughs) and in the beginning of the movie we see a publisher from Sydney her name is Ziggy great name and she comes into this kind of like abandoned cafe in the middle of nowhere um, where where these characters are. Um, and she's asking for Ruby. And what Ruby doesn't know is that Jack has actually secretly written a novel, a romance novel, and he's used her name. Because, mm. you know, a straight guy writing a romance novel, we all know that, you know, he'd be judged. Anyway, the publisher is um, gushing over the manuscript, saying it's 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 going to be a guaranteed bestseller. But Ruby's like completely lost and unsure how to respond. So Jack tries to convince her to go along with it, and in exchange, the publishers would pay for her wedding. So it's a weird premise, I know. Um, mm-hmm. Ruby is currently engaged to be married to a guy called Hamish, who who's really average looking compared to Jack, because you know everyone is average looking compared to Hugh Jackman. Um, but he's like sort of sweet, down to earth. He's just got no pretense. He's like the safe guy that women tend to marry, you know. So anyway, the publishers um, they get Ruby to go to Sydney for a book launch, and she gets this mini makeover, and it's really cool to see Sydney in 1999. Yeah, um, because I don't remember it. Um, and you know we rarely see our own city in the big on the big screen. That's true. And um, for the book for the book party launch, Ruby transforms only a little. Like she she still kind of looks like herself, but she's wearing this red dress. Um, and Hugh Jackman is in a suit. He's looking like very young in this film. He's like thirty one in this film. Mm-hmm. And I also realized watching this film that Claudia Carvin looks like Kate Winslet a bit. Oh, does she? Like her, something about her mouth. Oh, I think something yeah. about her mouth reminds me of Kate Winslet, and also she has a beauty spot okay. above her like lip, yep. which is very Kate Winslet-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this film is like the sort of best 
rom-com for me. It's like sweet. It's about the book publishing world, you know, which I'm very invested and interested in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like my all-time favourite film, You've Got Mail, which centres around books and literature. Yep. Um, and I really love seeing Australia represented in this way. Like you have the outback where these two characters are from and then they go into the city and they're mm-hmm. like fish out of the pond kind of thing. And um, so anyway, like there are, there are some things that were exciting to see, like the scenes of like King's Cross. They also go to a bar together mm-hmm. after the book launch. Um, yeah. And Claudia which bar Carbon was that? And Hugh Jackman. Well, I, I couldn't tell. Like, I was trying to tell whether it was, like, the Mali or the courthouse in Newtown. Uh-huh. But, like, I couldn't really locate any distinguishing features. Mm. Um, yeah, but it, overall, like, I cried and in the in the, in the the movie a couple of times at different scenes where it was, like, very deeply romantic because, like, it's really beautiful. And when they get together at the end, which, of course, they do, I was, like, sobbing as well. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> The only thing I'd say that I didn't really like um, about this film was um, Jack's character calls Ruby kiddo in the way that Big in Sex and the City calls Carrie kiddo, which I just detest yeah, a lot. It's, it's kind, like of like kind of oppressing an old... another woman, you know. Yeah, you it's like, uh, you're... you're not my dad. Yeah. Or like, you're not older. Can you stop calling me kiddo, you know? Yeah, it's just like presenting like a very unequal power dynamic when yeah, you're calling exactly. someone like girl kiddo. or kiddo. Yeah. 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 yeah, I hate that, yeah. But my favourite scenes in the film were definitely when Ruby um, is on her aeroplane. Like, she's really passionate about flying. Mm-hmm. She loves flying. Um, she's, like, you really get the sense that she's found her freedom when she's up there in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's such a great film. You should watch it. Paperback Heroes, guys. Yeah. Go and watch it. It's on it. stand. Yeah, if you like Jack... Uh, sorry, Hugh Jackman, I think it was... Yeah, that, that's one of the films that I watched very early on when I had a crush of um, Hugh Jackman, like, 20 years ago. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a bit too like good looking and too happy for my for my too taste. optimistic. He looks like just such a happy. <laughs> yeah, it's just like he's kind of like got that. Um, I mean, I was gonna compare him to Liam and um, Chris Hemsworth, but like the, both those men are more brooding. I think that um, Hugh Jackman seems more like a larrikin. Mm. I think it's that larrikinness that I just don't find very attractive. Yeah. Well, the story, I think, is a bit cliche because you'd end up having, you know, the they, they still end up... Like, I don't want to... I shouldn't be spoiling it, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, I'm spoiling uh, it all the way, man. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Um, they end up together but yeah, I mean, at the end of the movie. Or something. Yeah, they yeah. end up together. Um, it's, I guess, like, um, it's... The, the romance between them is not very convincing, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the movie, when before they kiss... He says to her, um, I've always loved you, which is like, uh, I don't know. I don't get that sense. <laughs> Maybe back in the 90s, yeah. it was more convincing for the audience back then. <laughs> and then now we grew out yeah, of it yeah. in the 2021. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's take a break. And we'll be back with this week's topic, which is Helen. Uh, we'll be talking about body image and body perceptions. From the Asian perspective. Three, two, one. And we're back. So, Helen, um, why did you want to talk about body images this week? Oh, okay. So I had this topic in mind probably at the end of the last year. Our brother had mentioned something about um, we've kind of always been very toxic about self-deprecating, about our own body image. Mm. Because sometimes, you know, how we text each other photos 
and then funny jokes or share shits yeah. <laughs> on Messenger. And then yeah. there will be, like, sometimes I will send a photo and then I will say, like I'll make a comment after sending them a photo saying that, oh, I look fat in this or I, I look shit yeah. or my my face look big or something like that. Yeah. And then our brother suggests that we should be talking about this kind of topic. And I know that there was a lot of podcast, podcasters have been talking about it, but we just want to share our own experience and hopefully that, you know, perhaps that our listeners have the similar experience that we want to, um, I don't know, making some kind of progress about not focusing so much on our own body, you know. Like mm-hmm. one may instinctively justify as, you know, humor. Like sometimes we say that, yeah, I, I don't look good in this. Like we're, it's a self-deprecating behavior, but eventually it's kind of like a condition to lower your own self-esteem, you know. And I think mm-hmm. a, we as Asians are very good at falling into this kind of trap, I, I feel like, because mm-hmm. we grew up being told that we need to always be careful about our own body weight. And yeah. growing up in a Western world, you know, as Asian diasporas, we're kind of confronting two different cultures, like the clashing ideas of weight and body image for the Asians in mm. the West. If you look at it, like when I was kind of researching and preparing for this episode, um, it's actually quite toxic. If you go on like um, search engines, you look up Asian female body images or Asian normal female mm. body images, they all come up as skinny woman with black hair. Yeah. Unless that you search body positivity, that the result will come up um, with like kind of like everyday bodies that you see on the street. And I also want to mention that the Asians, um, particularly within our communities or media, entertainment representations, like we still place a huge value on appearance. Prosperities of a nation that reflect on how the diet is changing and how body shape is changing, but the normal or so-called like average size is rarely shown on the screen. Like we see K-pop, they still have extremely skinny girls dancing and mm. singing I know, I know there's kind of like a progress, but it's not fast enough. Like a lot of damage is already done, I feel like. And also Western media have portrayed um, Asian women. They're either sexualized or they are being... Infantilized. Infantilized, yeah, exactly. Or they've been placed into a kind of like a trope of nerdy way. You know, how, how they have the yeah. characters of Asian girl are like bookworms. If you look at the crazy rich Asians or the half of it, there's a certain stereotype. Yeah. Mm. What do you think? I think there is no erasing or eroding this tendency we all have because we live in... I'm going to always just bring it back to capitalism itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it pays... It also, like, it, it's hard for us to dismantle these oppressive infrastructures because um it pays for us like it's advantageous for us to actually play along with these mm-hmm. metrics you mm-hmm. know like you know the the book that i mentioned a few weeks ago called beauty pays mm-hmm. you know like yep. it it for me um to look good and to have my hair a certain way or to be of a certain weight um it means that i can then access the parts of the society that I probably cannot as easily access if I were like 
extremely overweight, for instance, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm, I guess my point is like um, there is a price that we've have had to make and it's sort of really hard for us to n- not play by the rules. I guess like specifically when it comes to Asian women, um, I when you were mentioning the fact that, you know, we have this tendency to all self-deprecate to a ludicrous degree, I'd say that it also is that is part in parcel of the fact that we come from a deeply, deeply rooted culture of um, collectivism compared mm-hmm. to the Western individualism, yes. which means that we're not taught to take pride in whatever way we present ourselves to the world. Mm-hmm. Like being prideful is a sin in Asian culture. Like it's mm. it's hard for me. It's taken me like 33 years to feel proud of myself for anything. Like I, I um, when I got my book published last year and at the end of the year when I went to a lot of parties and a lot of people were saying, you know, going around the table saying, oh, like sharing our best top, sort of like top moments of the year, everyone just answered for me. Everyone would say, oh, yeah, Jessie's proudest moment, of course, was her book. But like internally, mm-hmm. um, my proudest moment were like my relationships mm-hmm. and the fact that I had fortified and nourished my human relations with my <laughs> friends and my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that to me was way more prideful than any achievement um and it's hard for me to feel proud because i come from a family where like our parents told us to like hide away our achievements and to always be modest and to never poke your head out of the grass like never be the most colorful person at a party you're just not meant to stand out Mm -hmm. you know Mm-hmm. And so, like, a way in which women, Asian women have tended to self-deprecate, um, it's the easiest bar that we can reach for to just, like, say, oh, my hair is shit, my eyebrows are messy, or my teeth are crooked. Like, it's it's sort of related to the tendency that women comedians in the past decades have tried to step away from self-deprecating humour. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, um, yeah. initially, women have not had, have not, have been given a space in the very, very male world of comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, stand-up comedy in particular. And the, the way that in the 70s, women had penetrated that space was to, like, self-deprecate. Like, ha-ha, I've got a very smelly vagina Yeah, making fun of ourselves. Like, yeah, making fun of ourselves. And what is the easiest thing to reach for? Our bodies. Mm-hmm. Because that is what traditionally we've been measured by and what our um, value in society has been sort of um, tied to. You know, like think Mm -hmm. of Ali Wong. Everyone on this podcast listening probably knows Ali Wong. She um, came out a few years ago with like, you know, massive, massive success with Baby Cobra or whatever her stand-up was and she was very self-deprecating about her body, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was she? Kind of. I think she was complaining about a lot of men as well (laughs) in her world. Right, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think speaking yeah. of our own experience, like you said, all the things that had happened in our culture and within our family, I kind of feel like growing up in a very self-conscious of appearance of my own body. Like I don't think yeah. there was any time that I honestly believe and feel positive about my own body, which is really fucking screwed up. Yeah, it is. Last year, I wrote a poem that we presented <laughs> at the International Women's Day event. Oh, yeah, yeah that was great. It was um, at the Opera House. Yeah. I started with saying that, you know, when I was seven or eight, that I've already felt very different. Like, I can tell the differences between body shapes amongst all the girls. Mm. Like, comparing myself with all the other girls and poking at my own jiggling size. <laughs> like, um, and I was observing, like, the girls who are um, a bit larger than so-called normal that they are usually ostracized from the 
more popular social groups. Mm. You know, unless that you're super nice and kind and help out whenever you can. It seems like if you're flawed or if you're considered that you're overweight, that you need to make extra efforts to gain like a certain acknowledgement from the social mm. circles. Mm. And also in high school, I remember around a lot of Asian girls that was just like, now I think of it, it was really, really toxic. We were constantly talking about how to lose weight mm. yeah, and right. what kind of weight lose tea you can drink, which makes you, I, I tried, which is really stupid. It just makes you constant diarrhea for six hours. That's awful. Um, Are you serious? You, you're awful. seriously saying yeah, that it, in yeah, high school, I try that. you guys yeah, tried high weight school. loss tea? I try every imaginable method of dieting, except for taking like uh, dieting medicine. I haven't done that. Um, like, well, that's fucked up. Hell, like, sorry. Yeah, I didn't know really this about you. Up. Okay. Other things like skipping lunch or just live on. Uh, there's a recipe called witch soup. Oh my god! Which, kill uh, me. Kill it's me. Cons- consisted of like cabbage, tomato, yeah. and just vegetables, yeah. celeries, and basically you boil deprive it, yourself. And you have that yeah. deprive yourself. Yeah. And apart from that, of course, there's like extreme exercise routine. Mm. This is going to sound funny now. There's this glay wrap, wrapping thighs to make our legs look thinner. Yeah, you Chili told me paste that. for the legs. Yeah, yeah. There's another, there's, this is just gone. Like I've got a list in front of me. It's just really, really bad when I read it out now. Like another thing is that how deep you need to have your finger down your throat to regurgitate mm-hmm. the food out. Mm-hmm. Like it's pathetically horrible to think about it now. And the body image was just at the center of almost all the girls when I was like in high school. Mm. They were trying to starve themselves. Mm. And what's worse was that we thought that it was normal. Right. Everyone was doing that. Like most Asian, even adults, the parents didn't stop any of us doing it. Mm. Our mother didn't thought that was anything wrong when I exercising to the point that I was feeling numbs on my legs. Our mom, like I'm not blaming her now. Like I remember going to GP complaining about how come my skin's kind of turning orange. Mm. Like I haven't been going out getting a tan and things like that. And mum just told the GP saying that, oh, Helen's been eating a lot of carrots and only carrots. How the fuck do I not know all of this? This is fucked up history, man. This is fucked up. You're more fucked up than I thought, mate. <laughs> just kidding. And it sounds like I'm judging you, I'm... but obviously I love you. But no, it's, this is. I'm just like shocked that this is the first I'm ever hearing about all this. And I didn't oh, know how okay. fucked up you are. So I'm glad you're getting therapy now. <laughs> I just want to talk about it now because yeah. it's so important. I don't want our next generation of girls and boys, of course, to repeat the fucking mistakes that I've done before. And I just want to be like, if you're a parent who's listening to our podcast, really do be aware about your, your you know, children's behavior of their diet and their exercise as well. Like I remember our mom would say that, don't eat too much. Did she? Yeah, she would oh, say that. I, I do feel like our mom because of her perfect appearance that she does worry yeah, um, about uh, how her children present in the public area, you know? Okay, can I just say, um, mm. this is so weird talking, hearing you about your experience with mum because I don't remember her saying that to me at all. Like, to me, it was more like, eat more, Jess, eat more. Oh, because you were um, very picky. You were a very picky eater when you were growing up, I think. Yeah, yeah, and also I, I don't actually eat that much. Um, and so, like... Um, like as a kid, I don't think I had a big appetite. Mm-hmm. I think I, have, I still have a small stomach to this day. But um, yeah, it's interesting um, that like uh, we're one of four. Helen's the eldest, I'm the youngest. And it sounds like every time we come together, we talk about our mum. It's like 
I we had it's almost <laughs> like we had we were parented by two different women. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. So interesting. What I'm saying is that it's just crazy thinking back that the methods that me and my friends have used to to maintain a weight or uh, to lose weight. It's just like a constant thing and mm. like a dieting culture around me, even as an adult. Like I'm seeing part of the conversation in my social circle will be, will be consistent, will be consist with dieting, like how to lose weight, how to tone specific part of your body. I mean, I'm guilty what the for, hell? you know, I, I feel like as I'm getting older, I want to talk less about it because... Like, I just want to do exercise because it makes me feel good. Yeah. I don't want to do it for some kind of losing weight. I know yeah. there are people, of course, you know, there are people out there that have health issues that they certainly need to lose weight. But I don't like seeing people having their weight fluctuate drastically. You know, there, there are people that constantly saying that, yeah, I need to lose weight. And the next day they go out and have a big binge Mm. On the food and the drinks and things like that. Um, I think I've always like um, this is me knowing how lucky I am to be this way. But I've always reached for exercise and body movement activities as a way to just feel good. Mm -hmm. Like um, I have this week gone back to yoga, like studio yoga. Mm -hmm. I have um, in the last June pandemic, in the last six months, I've been doing everything online. Um, and like last night, I think I went back because I got myself like a monthly pass. At mm. the um, a local wanky hipster um, uh, studio. A yoga studio where yeah. where like the the teacher is like looks like a model and everyone around me is like a model. There are no dark bodies. Everyone is either like white or Asian. Heaps of Asian mm. people go to yoga. Like Asians have yeah. penetrated white spaces for sure. Um, but yeah, I I I loved it. It the spiritual side of it made me like like our teacher was reading from <laughs> Glennon Doyle's Untamed when she got the book out and started quoting. I was like, get me the fuck out of here because like, that is the stupidest health self help book in the world, and I disrespect anyone who likes it. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Um, but yeah, I've actually passed that book on to you, haven't I, Helen? Because like I just couldn't even finish it. I read like the first five pages. I think I was, it's like, somewhere. Throwing it across the room. Shelf, yeah. It's so stupid, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, it's really like like hearing about your friends in high school. I'm just, and also your friends now. I'm like, why don't you get? Like, I don't think I ever, ever talk to my friends about dieting. I, I think we, mm. I talk about eating and stuff, but or like the foods we love. But it's basically like my f best friends and I are just like cheese, 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 cheese. <laughs> Let's go to Summer Hill IGA for more cheese, like. <laughs> Um, it's like, I have always just, yeah, like my conversations around, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm quite lucky maybe. Um, I mm. mean, I know I have friends who do struggle in this area, but, um, but like hearing you say all this makes me just realize how, um, there is the cycle of this tendency to, you know, like this, uh, this idea that being in a female body is, is what it is, is um, a state of constant deprivation, mm -hmm. you know, like trying to physically yeah. be smaller. I don't know why, I guess to please the male eye. I know that I'm happy with my body. The only thing that I sometimes wish I had was like bigger boobs because like, <laughs> um, I think bigger boobs, like, because for me, I love big boobs. Like, I'm very attracted to women who have large breasts, and I wish I had large breasts, but that's about it. 
<laughs> I think it's because not only like the behaviors and the actions that we do um, that I'm observed from my own social circles, I think language is very important as well because the constant in conversations that we have, it's very hard to detach yourself from talking about appearance and body shape. Um, it's like as mm. if there's nothing else to talk about. Um, because it's all over media. It's this constant um, discussions about how women should look like. I feel like it's just tiresome. I think it's just tiresome. Yeah. And particularly with um, Asian cultures, I've read up an article written by Rachel Gao uh, on everyday feminism. She said that there's actually four aspects in navigating the field of body weight and image in Asian cultures. Like, for example, there's the, the certain pr uh, pressure to be slim, thin, and delicate. Yeah. That's how, I don't know, the whole world look at Asian women. Um, the culture of yeah. pressure sharing, uh, sorry, the culture pressure of sh food sharing. Mm. Like we were very focused on food um, culture. For example, even with Taiwanese, there's a greeting that we usually use is jababe. You know, have you eaten? Yeah. Like well, food isn't that is all Asian culture? I think it's overall, it's all Asian culture. You know, yeah. it's a very important thing that you you ask someone else whether or not they have eaten. Um, I think I do that. Yeah, I do that with my partner. Yeah. When I see him, I do that to my partner because I want to know, like, have you been filled? As in, mm -hmm. like, have you been Are you nourished? Content? Yeah. I, yeah. Have you been, has your body been nourished? Mm -hmm. um, the last two aspects that she mentioned includes um, fighting internalized sexism and f fat phobia and the final one is complications of no having no one to talk to um, mm. like for example if I raise the issue of you know asking my friends to stop talking about losing weight and things like that they like they feel like oh you're not you're you're kind of not part of the group because that's what all the girls were doing back in high school, at least from mm. my social group. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, like I say, it's just really tiresome. Like my own advice for younger women now is like, you know, you take care. You take care about your body. Like I don't think I can stress enough that you just need to take care of your own body, um, both physically and mentally. Um, eating well, exercise. I know this sounds very cliche, but just put yourself first. Um, also, definitely mothers too. I think mothers get mm -hmm. very they get a lot of uh, a lot of judgmental statements about how their body mm. should look like. I think I mentioned it before in the previous part. Mm. Um, definitely, that I'm. I think that domestic chores are not exercise. They're laborers' work, <laughs> and they're also unpaid. You know, don't don't follow the fucking trends of dieting. Just find a way that suits you. Go out and find something to do. That is nourishing for your bo both body and mind. Yeah, I have no tips because um, I don't like giving advice. Ha, huh, just kidding. But I mean, um, I love everything you're saying. I agree with all the advice you're giving. Um, I, for me, what really helps is like journaling, like writing everything down because it means that I'm tuning into the deep core of who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, you are born and then from the moment you're born, the world tells you how to be. You know, you get influenced by your parents and then TV mm -hmm. and friends and yeah. everything around you is trying to push and pull you to be a certain way. And I find that writing really helps me 
try and um, sort of weave all that gunk out, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think why I'm saying that is, like, just, like, be aware of why you do what you do, you know? Like, really question yourself. Like, for me, I think, oh, I wish I had bigger boobs. And then, like, my next question is why. And then for me, it's like, oh, because I want to attract men. Mm-hmm. That's literally, like, like, and also attract women. And also there's something very sexual about big boobs. And so, like, I realised that the only reason why I want bigger boobs is um, not for myself. Like, I don't care. I couldn't give a shit if I had big boobs or no boobs or small boobs or average boobs. Like, I want to be attractive to, especially to the person of the opposite sex Mm -hmm. so that's why I think like having bigger breasts is so like appealing Mm -hmm. because of the power it gives me Mm. so it also comes down to power again like everything is so politically related yeah Yeah, (laughs) exactly I mean like we all want to be like we all want to be yeah like Carly Kloss (laughs) we all want to look like um uh uh Dua Lipa because you know it's like easy power you Mm -hmm. she walks into a room and everyone's looking at her Mm. I I think I've been around enough good-looking people to know that that power evaporates, and that a lot of the most the the best-looking people I've ever met have always tended to also be the dullest because they've never had to rely on anything but their looks, mm-hmm. and it's not sustainable. You know, like I'm not saying there are not any hot, intelligent, interesting people out there. I'm just saying that the interesting, intelligent people that I've met in my life have been 99% not do do not look like Carly Kloss <laughs> or Dua Lipa. You know, and and their way, like I want to fuck them more than you know fucking a person with no brains. And no, I'm 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 being in like stereotypical now. That's not the case. That's not the case. I'm not drawing a line between good looks and intelligence. I'm not doing that. Um, I'm just saying that I um, I'm lucky because I I feel like I surround myself with people who just like are not so obsessed with. Um, the particular power in which a certain type of conventional body gives mm-hmm. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good conclusion. Love that. Yeah. Um, anything else that you want to talk about before I close the wrap yeah, up? Well, um, I have lunch with a friend um, in about half an hour's time. Yay. So I'm going to ride my bike there, uh-huh. um, which is what I like doing. I like riding my bike everywhere. And um, I'm so hungry. <laughs> I'm really starving, and I love this feeling of like, yes, give me lunch, give me a toasted yeah, sandwich. Yeah, to eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. How about you? What are you having for lunch? I haven't thought about what to have for lunch yet because uh, there's nothing left. You always have amazing stuff, by the way. I just, just throw so up that people know, Helen is a fucking amazing <laughs> cook. Yeah. Um, I want to mention the Chinese Lunar New Year is coming up next week, so we might next week. Woohoo! Do something. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Related. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I think last year we talked about. Do we talk about no? We didn't talk about any Chinese New Year last year. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. kind of let's, something. Let's do something. Yeah, and I want to remind everyone yeah. to go and watch Netflix um, Taiwanese film called Big Little Woman. Um, it's coming out on Ooh, the fifth okay. of February. Um, the one I showed you last year, it's it was on. It was nominated for the Taiwanese Golden Horse Film uh, Award. So it's called Big Little Woman. Um, I don't even know why they translate it like that because I think the Chinese, they should be translated into um, the scent of loneliness. Gu Wei. Oh, that's beautiful. I think it's better. Rather than, the scent of loneliness. Yeah, yeah. Rather than, what is it called? Big Little Woman. Big Little Woman. Yeah. That just sounds like Big, big Little Lies. <laughs> 
I think they're trying to make a connection with the English work, Little Woman, because it's consisted right. of a family of four daughters, I think. Yeah, so it's, it's a similar, Am I? Yeah, similar right. collection. Yeah. yeah, anyway. Am I going to cry? Yes, you're going to cry. Hopefully, you're oh. going to cry. It's about mother-daughter relationship. Cry. Yeah. I, but we're, yeah, I think we're going to do it like a maybe I'll bonus, park that. bonus episode about it. Yeah, I'm yeah, really looking yeah, forward I think to I'll, this film. Yeah. I will park that um, for a day where I feel like crying. Today, I don't feel like crying. Today, I feel like like laughing. Yeah, it's so sunny outside. I'll probably just grab yeah. my lunch and sit outside and have it. Yeah. yeah, sounds good. With your dogs. Yeah, with my dogs. Uh, once again, thank you to our listeners. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple. We're now on Acast. If you have enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and share with your friends. We're now on Acast support. So if you like, please share your support by donating, buy us a coffee or a chai latte. You can find our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under. We welcome discussions and feedbacks. So that's the end of the episode. And guys, we will see you next week. Yeah, chat to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.